0: Because I want you to sit down with me and let's figure out a plan together, your life's roadmap, taking you from where you are right now and getting you to where you want to be. All you have to do is head on over to workwithkevin.coach. That is workwithkevin.coach to sign up. Until then, enjoy today's episode.
1: To start out with, they put me on a little bunny hill and told me to hold on this tow rope when I got to the top, let go. So my knees are wobbling back and forth. I'm holding on the rope. Next thing I know, I face plant that pole, end up on the ground. Oh, <laughs> <And> I, no! <laughs> I set up laughing and said, Hey, hi, huh? Adaptive 101. How about telling the blind guy when he gets to the top, you know what I'm yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> So many people think that my story is inspiring. How I became blind at just 17 years of age. They always want to know how I've done it and how I've kept smiling all along the way. Well, I've just chosen to focus my attention on seeing the positive side to life. And here on the podcast, that's what I want to do for you. Because no matter what you may be going through in life, I hope to inspire you to focus on the positive positive. and... You know what? I hope that I can also be a source of inspiration for you to just Just keep keep on on smiling. smiling. Hey there, welcome back to The Lowdown with Kevin Lowe. My name is Kevin Lowe, of course, and I'm the host here on the podcast. And today you're joining me for episode number 77, presented by Freedom Nutrition Coaching. If you're interested in getting in shape, maybe losing a little bit of weight, be sure to check out the episode show notes where you can find a link to learn more. So today I'm giving you a double dose of some blind views on life. (laughs) What I mean, well, normally it's me who's the only blind person in the studio, but today my guest, Lonnie Bedwell, he's also completely blind. Lonnie, he is probably one of the craziest, funniest, yet most sincere people I've ever met. Super country guy, crazy sense of adventure, but with a really deep thought on life. You're going to hear how Lonnie became blind. And I must say, it's a pretty traumatic event. But Lonnie, he figured out a way to keep going in life. And when I say keep going, I mean craziness in the way he's kept going, like kayaking the Grand Canyon. He's done that alone with a team and then did it again with Eric Weinmeyer, another blind guest who I've had on the podcast before. But Lonnie, he didn't stop with that. He's kayaked in rivers where he's had to worry about crocodiles and hippos and You know, the guy's just all over the place doing such cool stuff. And yet he's just this down to earth, super awesome guy. And it's just a true pleasure that I got a chance to meet Lonnie and have him here on my podcast today. Before I get to that interview, I do want to tell you about something new I have going on. And that is that in addition to being the host here on the podcast, I have also entered the realm of life coaching. So when I went blind back in 2003, I finally came to a point when I realized that what happened to me happened for a reason. And as I often say that I believe that all things in life happen for a reason and a good reason at that. And for myself, I believe that God knew I would serve a greater purpose in this world having gone through what I did than if I hadn't. And that's partly why I've been doing this podcast, hoping to inspire, empower people to get out there and take on life, no matter what obstacles or barriers stand in your way. Well, I'm taking that a step further by entering the realm of life coaching. As I'm choosing to work with people who have endured a life-changing disability or medical diagnosis or illness. Something that has totally just changed their life, stolen their life. And well, I can relate because I was there. And I want to use my own experience of the road I have already traveled down to now help people who are going down that same path in life. And so, anyways, maybe that's you, or maybe it's a family member, or maybe just somebody you know who suffered, like I said, a life-changing disability, or a medical diagnosis, illness, something that has changed their life and they're just struggling to figure out how to keep going in life. So if you know that person or if you are that person, please be sure to check out the episode show notes where you'll find a link to a page on my website where you can find out more and go ahead and sign up for a free 15 minute coaching session with me. Anyways, I just wanted to tell you about that, something new I have going, in case it could be a help to you or somebody you know and love. With that being said, I think it's time for me to introduce you to the man of the hour, Mr. Lonnie Bedwell. I actually first met you inside of a book. Inside of a book by Eric Weinmeier about his journey kayaking the Grand Canyon, and that's that's really the first time that I even heard your name. So I've, uh, I'm super excited that all of a sudden this character has come to life. So. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, that's a, it's probably a better character in the book than it is in real life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say I really loved Lonnie Bedwell the character in the book. So we, we shall see, I guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, well, Lonnie, I would love to get, you know, a little bit of your backstory and and kind of give everybody a little little picture into, you know, who you are, where you're from and and you know, and we'll we'll kind of go from there. So so wh- where in the country do you live? I guess we'll start with that.
1: I live in a little town of Duggar, Indiana. That's my address now. It's a population of about 900 to 1,000, something like that. And the little town that I was actually raised in is called Pleasantville. It's, uh, I truly do live between Pleasantville and Duggar. And uh Pleasantville's got about 120 people, if you count the dogs and chickens. So,
0: uh, (laughs) (laughs) well, well, that that sounds very pleasant. Yeah, for sure. Yes. And uh,
1: after graduating high school, uh, you know, I I think I graduated high school. (laughs) I uh, I, uh, went to college for two years down at Vincennes University for robotics. Then I decided to join the military and enlisted in the Navy in the nuclear power program and did nine years. I volunteered for submarine service and was selected for that. And I spent nine years on active duty in the Navy, got off of active duty, spent three years in the, uh, and the guards. And that's when I had my accident. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing being in a submarine. I, I mean, right off the bat, I'm like, Either that Lonnie's really awesome or half crazy because the idea of being stuck in a submarine just sounds almost torturous to me.
1: Well, I know what my opinion would be, but I would say most everyone else's would be the latter of those two. So
0: yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, I gotcha, I gotcha. So leading up, you you made mention there at the end about your accident. So tell me what happened that you know made you lose your eyesight.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, just, like I said, three years to the day I got off of active duty, I was involved in a hunting accident literally a mile from my house uh, where I'm sitting at right now. A good friend of mine, we were turkey hunting together, and he uh, accidentally shot me. I received a full shotgun blast to the face, I think, at about nine steps. And uh, I didn't see him any more than he saw me and, we had separated for me to just call. I didn't even have a a gun on me. I didn't have anything on me. I was just calling and kind of working our way back together. And it was so thick and dense in there. I, I don't know that either one of us really know what happened, but I can remember, it's so weird though, because I can remember before the shot went off, I felt this aura around me, like I was completely enveloped and surrounded by this and everything went dead silent. I mean, the I didn't hear any birds, no wrestling of the, of the leaves and the trees from the wind, no squirrels, nothing. It was complete dead silent. And I just, like the hair wanted to stand up on the back of my neck, I knew something was going to happen. And I started to squat down and reach up to cover my face. I was just going to duck when uh, the shot went off. And the next thing I know, I, uh, I ended up on my belly. It completely flipped me. And I'd say part of that was probably by reaction. I don't know. And... uh Yeah, I got up onto my knees. My head was ringing and pounding and I reached up and wiped my eyes simply because I thought I had something covering my face. When I still couldn't see, I took my gloves off and I reached up and I slowly wiped them again. Only this time, you know, I could feel the blood and everything running down my hands. I knew what happened. And uh, yeah, that's how I lost my eyesight.
0: Wow, 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 wow. Now, so did you at that moment, I mean, did you immediately? become blind yeah instantaneous
1: instantaneous darkness yep all i see is total black
0: yeah wow now what about other i mean did you have to have other type of surgeries even for just all the pellets that i mean i assume just hit all over your entire face
1: yeah i had uh you know i think the first little scan or x-ray or whatever they did i had some like 85 pellets up in there and they initially, the initial little surgery was kind of stop the stuff in my throat. And uh, so I had a little bit of a surgery there to stop all that. And then they rebuilt the inside of my nose a little bit. Uh, cosmetically, they didn't do anything on the outside. And, uh, you know, it got to where so I could breathe right and, uh, and survive, quite honestly. I was very, very fortunate. You know, the doctors told me because I went from uh, a stretcher that was carrying me across the stripper hills to a lake. Got into a boat. They put me in a in a boat. The boat took me to a, a ambulance. The ambulance took me to a helicopter, and that's the last thing I remember before I woke up at the emergency room. And uh, I think they intubated me on the helicopter. And uh, I know the the surgeon came out and doctor came out, and he told me he said I shouldn't have been here. He said another fifteen minutes, I probably wouldn't have been here. Uh, so uh, just meant to be, you know. So it's,
0: yeah, uh, no life, life has a. Life has a crazy way of doing things. I can't help but wonder your friend who shot you. Yes. Tim's good. How how has he handled it? Because that had to be horrible.
1: Yeah, it was uh, initially for him, it was just tremendously horrible. And uh, I have to say one of the greatest blessings I was ever given in my life. Was the fact that I never was the slightest bit angry or bitter at him. As a matter of fact, uh, as soon as I got to where I could talk again, I can remember telling him, uh, you know, let it go. Just, just let it go. It was an accident. I, you know, we'd been raised together since we was three years old. Well, probably before that, since we were born and, uh, went all the way through school together. And, you know, and I, I just tried to encourage him to, to not let it harbor and, uh, you know, I and I can remember here a few years ago we did a documentary together, and he was in it anyway. And he said, you know, the accident that day, the memory—it's a scar now. It's not an open wound, at least, and uh, which is a lot better than where it was initially at with him. And you know, I I, I even personally wish the scar would go away because, yeah, you know. I told him, I said, you know, it might have been your physical finger on that trigger, but someone else pulling it, someone that wanted to destroy us. And we can't let that happen. And uh, I'm so thankful he didn't. We still hunt and fish together, still hang out together. And, uh, you know, sometimes it it goes through spells where we're hanging out more than others. But that's this life. You know, we all get busy. And so,
0: yeah, yeah, cool dudes. Yeah. I'm really relieved to, to hear that ending to that that little chapter, you know, of your story. Because, you know, I think anybody listening, you know, you kind of wonder right off the bat is, oh, my gosh, what what happened there? And and, you know, and, and I think it's amazing. Really, I think it says a lot about, to be quite honest, both of you for the fact that you were able to to recognize the fact that it was an accident, you know, and then the fact that I think it's amazing of him and the fact that. Because because a lot of people, when they're faced in a situation like that, the easy way is to then just kind of remove themselves from the situation, you know, and the fact that he didn't and the fact that you guys are still friends, I think just is a really amazing kind of uh, example of what a true friendship is.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think it's awesome. And I, I can remember telling him, like I said, I can remember telling him, somebody, you don't owe me a thing. The only thing I ask is, you know, we've been friends our whole lives. So you don't walk away. Our whole families were our parents, our, our brothers, our children. And it's still good to know. And, and I honestly can tell you, I have told him numerous times that he is much better looking to me now than he used to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, And I've also told him that I probably wouldn't have went hunting with him if he just told me was related to Dick Cheney. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are too much, man. You are too much. That's hysterical. Mm. Oh, wow. So now, how long ago was that? 24 years
1: ago, 24, about 24 and a half now. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So now, so after the trauma of the accident, now I I did want to ask, did you become completely blind? Yes.
1: I'm totally, I, I tell everybody that I am. LOL. You know, the yeah. they, they they stole that off of me, LOL, you know, because what it really stands for is Lights Out Lonnie. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. I tell them I'm LOL Cube now, though. So I'm Lights Out Lonnie, who likes to laugh out loud with lots of love.
0: Oh, so, I love yeah. it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's cool because, you know, I think I think that's something that You know, I know for myself that I didn't realize, though, and and when I asked you about, you know, if you're completely blind, because that's something that I didn't discover until I became blind, is that when people say they're they're blind, that actually kind of encompasses a pretty big spectrum. Because a lot of people still, you know, will be, you know, say that they're blind, but they'll see, you know, bits of light or they'll Mm -hmm. have, you know different, different, you know, maybe shapes or shadows or, you know, different stuff. And so that that's what I always, you know, tell people, you know, I'm in, in, in your kind of situation and the fact that, you know, I'm completely blind as I, yeah. as I always joke and tell everybody, I was like, you know, listen, you know, I just figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right and go all the way. <laughs> so, you know, skip over the visually impaired part and go straight to blind. There you, you go. <laughs> <laughs> <It> yes. <works. laughs> yes, yes. So now, how was life for you after the accident, kind of getting back to where I was going, was after, after the drama, after all the medical stuff related to it, how was life for you kind of regaining life after, after becoming blind?
1: Well, you know, everything's a challenge. I mean, I went literally from weighing like 181, 182 pounds to 129 pounds, drinking insurance shakes like they were candy. And uh, I just couldn't keep my weight on I, and I think you know naturally just my body fighting whatever it was fighting. but where I was so fortunate was uh, my three daughters actually mainly thing but I literally two months after I lost my eyesight and this is in the book that I wrote i tell this story and I Took me forever to be able to tell it, but literally two months after I lost my eyesight I was laying on my couch in this living room that I'm sitting in right now. I had my left foot on the floor, just thinking about my daughters, and I, you know, knew I had to get up and and go out and and stuff. And I'm kind of going to cut this short, so I, I didn't have any uh mobility training, but I took the broom out of my handle out of my broom and out the door I went, and uh, kind of went my way, way across the yard, down the edge of the field, which was up to my chest, and hit my little barn and. I just lowered my head, just fighting back these tears and and uh, walked back across the the yard and ran into my little daughter. And she's like, what's wrong? And, and I said, nothing, nothing bugging. She said, yeah, there is. What's wrong? I said, well, I'm frustrated. And she asked me why. And I said, well, because I can't get into my barn without walking into chest high weeds and I can't see to mow them. Well, cutting this a little shorter, she she said, I'll help you. And and she did. She led me around the house. We got on the ride in lawnmower. She drove me out to the barn. I had her get off and I I mowed three laps around that barn by putting my hand against the barn and then the broomstick against the barn. And when I shut it off, I walked up to her. I could hear her just squealing. She's jumping around and said, you did it, you did it. You know? And I'm like, yeah. But now instead of fighting back tears, I had tears of hope flowing off my face. And then, then my other daughters were all the same way. They all engaged. And, you know, all these adults were saying, no, 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 you can't. And all my daughters were saying, go, go, go. And, you know, they they'll basically said, get off your knees and stand up. Get off your knees and step. Get off your knees because you can. And they changed my vision more than the loss of my eyesight ever did. And, you know, to say this in a fun way, they let me see light in that darkness. And I'm so fortunate it happened that fast. You know, so... I know I had my struggles beyond that and after that too, but I personally know I didn't go into as deep a darkness as I know I would have if it wasn't for that and and them girls getting me up and going.
0: Wow, Lonnie, I think that's such an incredible story, and there's so there's so many little pieces of of that relatively simple story. Yet, oh my gosh, how powerful! Even in the aspect that I that I look at that relationship of children and their parents mm-hmm. and and for your case, your daughters, their dad. And the fact that maybe maybe you had become blind, but in their eyes, you're still their dad mm-hmm. and you're you know, you're the greatest thing there is the you know Superman and that you can do it. And, 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 and at the same point, the amazingness of of a child's mind. Of, like you said, the adults, you know, telling you, no, 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 don't do it. And, you know, then the mind of a child, you know, who has this imagination that I feel like we can all kind of learn something from of so many times that, you know, kind of resort back to what that child instinct is. And the fact is to give it a whirl. Yeah. And, and I, and I listened to that story and you setting off and, and mowing those laps around the barn and. I mean, what, what really, if you think about it, a pivotal moment even, and just showing you, you know what, I can do something. Yeah. You know, it was
1: huge. It truly was absolutely huge in my life. And you hit the nail on the head when you said, uh, you're still dad, because that was one of the things I was honestly thinking about lying on that couch was, you know, what do my girls think of me? How am I going to be dad? How how am I going to be daddy? You know, how am I going to be, do anything? And, uh. And I knew right then that, like you said, I was still daddy, which was enormous, an enormous emotional lift for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's amazing. So how do we go from Lonnie, dad, who who, encouragement of his daughter gets on the tractor, mows around the barn to who Lonnie is today? this blind kayaker who's doing crazy things. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, man, I don't know about all of that. (laughs) How did how did how did you how did you and and I guess even more so how long was it between that point and when you started getting into kayaking? And even I guess, you know, Lonnie, I mean, you can even, you know, go back even further if you want, like just starting to, to truly live again and getting back out into the outdoors and stuff.
1: Yeah. It was, it was 14 years before I got into the adaptive sports scene, but it's like I said, my daughters, they, you know, I kept trying to do things and they kept finding a way, you know, to to help. Well, I mean, I I tried to learn how to drive a nail. And every time I swung that hammer, I hit a nail, but most of the time it was my thumbnail or my fingernail. (laughs) But, (laughs) but but I got to where I learned to drive a nail and uh, you know, I, I got permission to tear down these old houses that the coal mine owned around here. And they just started from there and, and you know started push mowing around the house and around the outbuildings and the pond. And, and that's one of my favorite stories I love to tell because I was, I was out late one night, well after dark, mowing the bank in between the pond and the road. And I heard a car pull up and honk its horn. And I shut the mower off. And it was one of my neighbors. And she rolled her window down and said, Lonnie, so do you realize you're mowing in the dark? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, here's your sign.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Say, no, I've, I've been waiting on somebody to come out and bring me a flashlight. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs>
1: oh man how many times has that happened to you in your life someone come up you're doing something they they come up behind you and get turn the lights on or grab a flashlight and turn it on and then they just shake their head and say man (laughs) yeah no but, but i went from that and i started like i said i got a chainsaw again my dad took my chainsaw after i lost my eyesight and my mom actually, which floored me, took took me and I bought another one and I started, you know, cutting firewood again and clearing fence rows and then going for walks and longer walks and like I said, me and my buddy, the very next year, the guy I was in the accident with, we went out and turkey hunting again with him as my guide and I harvested my first turkey. And wow. uh, I've been uh, I've actually helped create a little nonprofit back here at home where we take other folks with other disabilities and children out you know hunting and fishing and stuff like that and uh, but so I kept doing that kind of stuff and and I ended up as a single father raising my three girls and I taught them how to drive and um out here in the back pasture behind the house no four wheel drive truck and then I got into actually building houses which is something I didn't do before I lost my sight and okay. uh, so, you know, I do everything now from framing to sheeting, wiring, roofing, and I've helped build over thir- probably 30 homes, garages, outbuildings, and, you know, worked with this company for, I don't know, probably 14, uh, 14 years or so. And, but it was after my youngest daughter graduated high school. Like I said, since I was a single father, I wouldn't go to a blind rehab center. And when she graduated high school, I was like, okay, I need to go up here and I need to learn. A little bit more of this technology stuff, which I stink at. I'm trying to I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to switch over from a PC to a Mac, and I was decent on the PC, but I, I yeah, I'm not good at the Mac yet. But so I had to go. I wanted to go up there and learn t- some technology stuff. And while I was up there, you know, there was these guys and gals coming back from overseas and from the wars that were kind of young, and met some of them that lost their eyesight and the blind rehab center up there, the VA blind rehab center asked me, and they said, Hey, you know, we got these younger vets coming back and, and we know blind people snow ski and we've never done it as a recreational outing, but we'd like to try it and see how it works. They said, will you be our Guinea pig? And I'm like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if they can do it, we can do it. And uh, yes. just twist my arm. Uh, so they took me up there to little bunny Hill in uh, Wilmot, Wisconsin. And that's where it started. And then, one of those blind vets was also invited to another uh, event and uh, he refused to go unless they brought me along. He flat out told them. he said, look, he's blind. You're not. If he goes, I'll go. If he doesn't go, I'm not coming. And so they called and asked me if I would go. And that was water skiing and cycling and sailing. And I said, I'll be there. And then between that, all those events, it just blew up for me of opportunities and being asked to go. I got into adaptive
0: sport. Wow. That's so awesome. I love it. Wow. That's just, that's really phenomenal. Yeah. So now for, for everybody wondering when you talked about the blind skiing and stuff, how does that work? Well,
1: for me, you know, there's so many different ways they do that, you know, when it comes to skiing blind, uh, without eyesight, you know, they, they might start out a lot of people with a, um, a pole, a long pole, and they'll put a person on each side of you and you grab the pole and they'll ski down the hill or they might put a tether on you and kind of ski behind you and give you voice commands and try to help keep you from falling or falling too much. And, And then the typical way to guide is, you know, once they get going is to guide with the uh, voice command you know and left turn and hold and hold and right turn and hold that kind of thing but, uh, but for me like i said they just put me up there on the little bunny hill and uh, told me, <laughs> which is a funny story itself. So, to start out with they put me on the little bunny hill and told me to hold on this tow rope when i got to the top let go well this tow rope goes around a pulley that's attached to the pole so my knees are wobbling back and forth. I'm holding on the rope. Next thing I know, I face plant that pole, end up on the ground. Oh, <laughs> I, no. I set up laughing. I said, "Hey, hi, Adaptive One One. How about telling the blind guy when he gets to the top?" You know. What I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> but, but. Uh, <laughs> But for me, you know, they didn't use the pole or the tether or nothing. You know, I just they just kind of set me up there and said, OK, you know, ski to my voice and, you know, do the do the pizza, do the railroad tracks, the pizza, which is where you, you know, put your ski tips inward at the front and out at the back. That's kind of a wedge, if you will, and peach it and and stuff. But, but I ended up going out to Steamboat Springs, Colorado a few months after that and uh, fifth they ever on a set of skis. We went through a little process of of sounds, and because I heard clicking noise out in front of me, and they told me what it was, which are ski poles. So we tried the ski poles, and we went to a whistle, then a a pipe and a bar, and the pipe and bar worked. I could hear it, and I followed it. So then they went and they found a cowbell, and they was ringing a cowbell out in front of me, and I literally went from skiing green slopes and bunny hills to ski my very first blue slope and black slope that day, that fifth day of ever been on a set of skis in my life.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: I've been clocked a little over 60 mile an hour on a set of skis now.
0: That's so awesome. But, but what I think is cool about that is kind of what you're saying is the fact that it's not just like a one size fits all. It, it's kind of finding what works for that individual person.
1: Totally, totally. I mean, people with low vision, sometimes they can see, you know, a contrast of colors out in front of them. And they'll they'll have people wear different colored bibs or outfits out in front of them, and they can see to follow it, you know. And and now uh, most all your resorts have went to uh, headsets to where the guides not have to scream to give you any kind of a voice command. They can literally just kind of talk through that. And uh, there's uh, power packs on your sound packs on your, I mean, there's just so, so many different things. And that's the thing I love about adaptive stuff. It's it's true. Like like you just said, they adapt to the person, their skills, their comfort level. And it's just awesome.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. And, and what, what I think is phenomenal about the evolution of adaptive sports and stuff is the fact that think of it from the aspect of like, you know, for you listening to me and me and Lonnie talking today and and maybe you don't have any, you know, quote-unquote disabilities. And maybe you enjoy getting out there and doing these adventurous sports and stuff. And and you love it. You love the thrill of it. Now think of yourself as somebody with a disability. And it's so easy when we have whatever type of disability to kind of get put in this, this hole. And our life is limited by that disability in so many ways. And I feel like when we can get out and do these adventurous activities, it kind of makes you forget that you're any different than anyone else, you know? And I just think that's what's like so awesome about the adaptive sports and stuff is the fact that it gives somebody the opportunity to get out there and be basically just like everybody else and get to, to, you know, forget about that disability, forget that anything's different and just get to enjoy life and, and, you to feel that adventure and i just ah, i think it's so awesome
1: well the fact that you know it is awesome and the fact of the matter is is uh, we are not different than any other anyone else in some ways, you know if you will and uh, we just need someone to give us a chance to believe in this but, and that's the thing to me is you kind of stated that disabled word or disability quite often there and you know every person on the face of the earth could be considered disabled If you take the word literally, means not able. We're all not able to do something because we don't have the gift, the talent, the ability to do it. It's just not our gift. We're not going to be professional singers, ballplayers, whatever the case may be. But we can all do much more than we sometimes think we can or definitely than what others think we can. So if we will just, you know, work together, adapt, you know, we, it's just amazing what can be done and uh that's uh
0: yeah 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 well i just oh man so awesome i love it so i can't help but think that when when you talked about explaining the way that the adaptive skiing works i started to think wow that sounds very similar to the way that kayaking works for it you truly is it truly
1: is it's it's the way it all works from the from the rock climbing the mountaineering the the kayaking it's all kind of along the same lines you know and and that's the snow skiing is what led me to kayaking i was in an event where i was introduced to mountaineering and rock climbing and kayaking at a uh, at an event out in colorado and uh, <laughs> it literally started the kayaking started in a swimming pool and i said uh, you know if you get in this kayak and you can do an eskimo roll or a combat role, which is where you flip upside down and then you use your paddle and the hip snap to flip back upright. They said, if you can do a, an Eskimo roll or combat roll the first time in the pool, you know, we'll give you a t-shirt. So <laughs> <and> <laughs> well, I got out there and, you know, they started flipping us upside down and uh, eventually I got it and I won a t-shirt, but it was, uh, it was pretty cool. and Not, not that easy to actually learn <laughs> to begin with. And it's awesome. And no. that, go ahead.
0: Yeah no I just started to say that that is something that to me I feel like you've got to be really comfortable in the water because to me that sounds like you could so easily just panic immediately being yeah. being inside of this kayak flipped upside down oh my gosh like that too, it seems so scary to me
1: Yeah and uh you know, <laughs> I got to say this cuz it cracks me up too I've had I've had people ask me several times since you can't see, how can you tell you're upside down? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> yes. I started to say, did you say, well, you know, I, I don't know until I take a breath and yeah. I fill with water. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, just like, wow. You know, another one of those here's your sign moments. But
0: <laughs> yep, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, the, but the true, the true thing about that is, uh, it it really is. I think I do get asked that a lot. As a matter of fact, I just got asked about um, two weeks ago by by a lady who was blind that started. And she said, what's your best advice? And I said, relax. I said, absolutely relax and stay calm. Because I said, that's when you're going to be able to respond and react to the best of your ability. And I I tell people, I said, you know, to start out with, I said, sitting in a chair, just hold your breath. And count to 10 or count to 15 and realize how long that you can hold your breath. So I said, just the same way when you flip upside down underwater. So you've got time to, you know, roll back up once you learn how to do it or hang in there and have someone kind of do what they call a bow rescue or a hand of God, you know, where they bring their kayak in against yours and you you grab a hold of it and use your hands to flip up. Or they just literally reach over and grab you and flip you over. So, uh, you know, it's just it's just that that aspect of trying to stay calm. And, and I truly do believe that the time I had in the military kind of helped prepare me for that kind of stuff. You know, when chaos hits, you know, you you just slow down and.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was in there thinking, I mean, granted, granted the guy was in a submarine, but he spent a whole lot of time underwater. So no wonder he was pretty good at this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so so I'm curious. So how did things then progress from from the swimming pool that day? And obviously, I'm assuming you got the T-shirt.
1: Yeah, I got the T-shirt. And <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. I'm not sure what the T-shirt said, but it <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> probably yeah. said, Dork or something, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) can't believe you've done it. But no, but since doing that, I was then invited to what they call an out-of-sight clinic, where they took uh, some of blind veterans up to the Yellowstone River up in Montana, and we were introduced to our first whitewater over the course of a week. You know, they started us out on a little flat water and in a pond, trying to learn basic techniques and. Then we went out and got on just moving water on the river and then rippling water and kind of ended up running some of our first class two, class three uh, rapids by the end of the week. And yeah, and that was, uh, that's just exciting. And and it was then at the airport, leaving that clinic, that the executive director of Team River Runner, the organization that, that took us, Joe Mornini is his name. He, uh, he was we sitting there and he said, Lonnie, how would you like to be the first blind veteran to kayak? the entire length of the Colorado river through the grand Canyon in your own kayak. And, you know, I thought, wow, what a vision. And, uh, and, and me, it, it just instilled a dream. And I don't think either one of us thought it'd be as quickly as it was, but, uh, that's kind of how it started.
0: Well, how, how quick are we talking from that <laughs> point? Did that happen?
1: Well, literally the next year. And I had, uh, I had fourteen days of whitewater experience under my belt when I went to the Grand Canyon for the first time.
0: <laughs> oh, wow!
1: Yeah. <laughs> now wow. he didn't tell me. He did tell me that I had to learn to do. I had to do at least a thousand of those Eskimo rolls, combat rolls, before I could get the chance to go. And uh, he didn't know that I had all the equipment here at the house—a a kayak and a skirt and every, everything I needed. People had donated to me or let me borrow it. He had no clue. And when he asked me, when he called me up after that clinic, he called me up and asked me if I'd like to go on a raft. And I said, no, nah. I said, I don't want to do a raft. I said, a raft will scare me. I want to do it in my own kayak. You know? <laughs> so, so, But anyway, yeah, so he uh, he, he said, well, you got to do a thousand rolls before I'll let you do it in a kayak. So I took all my gear, walked across my pasture, down to my pond here at the house, and I started trying to do these rolls. I had someone that had been help, trying to help me learn. And the next day after that phone call, I did a hundred rolls in my pond, and I told him that. And he's just like, "Well, you got to get more experience because at this time I only had four days of whitewater experience." So I uh, I quit counting at over fifteen hundred rolls in the pond, and and like I said, I went and I got ten more days of whitewater experience. And it happened to be when I was doing that, uh, I was at the Charlotte Whitewater Center in uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I ran into a guy that Joe had taught how to kayak. And this gentleman, Pablo McCambus is his name. He ended up being a Chilean Olympic paddler. And he was watching me and I told him, uh, we got into a conversation. I told him I was working up to see if I could get the skills to do the Grand Canyon. And he said, I think you can do it. And in our conversation, you know, I told him about Joe and he said, I know Joe. Joe taught me and you can (laughs) do this. So. I said, Pablo, you gotta call Joe and tell him I can do it. You gotta tell him I need a chance. And he did, and so they give me a shot. So
0: yeah. Wow. So now I'm curious all that time that which I mean all that time, I'm acting like it was a ton. It really wasn't that, but you that you were preparing to go to the Grand Canyon and you started doing the white water. Were you did you always work with the same guide? No. Okay.
1: (laughs) As a matter of fact. The guides that led me down the Grand Canyon, I met them when I flew to Flagstaff to paddle the Grand Canyon. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Which was not not a recommended thing to do by no means, but uh, the people that I had paddled, Joe was going to try to, you know, Joe Mornini was going to try to guide me, but in working up to do it, he ended up finding out that he had uh, had to have open heart surgery. So- oh. You know, and uh, he told me, he said uh, that was the best thing that happened to me because he wouldn't let me run a lot of the rapids. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of weird. You know, we just met there at the canyon and uh, we just started working on our skills as we went down. And that's one good thing about the Grand Canyon. It kind of starts with somewhat smaller rapids, if you will, and, and builds up as you go along, you know, day five, day six. Yeah. So.
0: OK, so I have to ask, what in the world were your three daughters thinking when you told them you were going to do this? Well,
1: from oldest to youngest, my oldest daughter was like, oh, what she is today. She's like, OK, Dad, but be really, really, really careful. Are you sure? You know, be really careful, but make sure you get a good life insurance policy. <laughs> <laughs> My my middle daughter was like, yeah, yeah, go do it, Dad. But yeah, please, please, please be careful. And my youngest daughter was like, go for it, Dad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. That is so funny. So now, how long did this trip take down the Grand Canyon?
1: It was 16 days, 226 miles.
0: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Now how many people like were, were in your group traveling down the river?
1: I want to say in my, in kayaks, I think there were six of us in kayaks and I had three around me at all times, one in front of me and, uh, two, one directly behind me. And one, uh, we called the old crap guy, you know, that uh, stuck way back in case I really blew off to the side and I lost the other two that they could get to me. And, uh, and then the other two guys were just kind of paddling around. And we had a paddle raft and uh, some support rafts, and I think there was like somewhere around f- thirteen or fourteen disabled veterans and uh, four or five, about five or six support rafts, and something like that. And uh, yeah, and I know I was told before I went, I said you probably won't run all the rapids, and um, you'll have to either walk around or portage, ride a raft through some of them, but that's okay, you know, and. That's the kind of mindset I had going in, and and then <laughs> I love this story though. We got to a rapid called Crystal, one of the one of the biggies and uh, probably the most dangerous ones on the on the river of the ones that are there. And we ended up running it. And after we ran it, my my primary guide Alex told me. He said, "Hey, he said Joe told me under no circumstances was I supposed to guide you through this rapid." And I said, "Why did you?" And he said, "Because we could." And uh, you know, I was like, "Wow, wow. you know, And uh, I was like, so you know, when uh, yeah, we just we just kept building and had no concept that we'd we would run them all, But we ran every rapid. i I swam twice when my skirt imploded on both occasions, and it was just phenomenal, just phenomenal feeling, you know,
0: yeah, I, I, now at any point, on that trip on on any of the rapids, I mean, was there any moment when when something maybe didn't go as planned that, that you were scared, like you got trapped or 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 anything? Or is your just your sense of crazy adventure just too much for you to get scared?
1: Well, I mean, no, my anxiety level was definitely definitely up, you know, even on some of the first rapids, you know, it's like, man, this is the biggest, pushiest water I was ever on, you know, and and you could you couldn't see those rapids, but you could definitely, <laughs> definitely hear the water roar and feel it. In the, and, and uh, you know, it's uh, you know but I can remember telling the guys, I'm not sure if I can roll in these rapids. And the very first rapid we got to Badger Badger Creek, uh, one of my guides, he said he said just flip upside down. I said you get halfway through it, flip upside down. You know, and I was, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I, I'm going to flip it up and move it in. You, know? you want to see if you can do it? Do it now, because this is one of the smaller ones. So uh, they had intentionally had me flip, and they called it out, and I did, and I was able to roll up, and that gave us some some good you know, curry, and a little uh, bit of kudos. And then we went to a rapid called House Rock, where I got offline, and I went through this hole, and I got flipped and rolled and spun around, and... But I, I was able to roll up and paddle on and we just that kind of set the tone for the trip and uh you know it just it just worked and uh, but then there was yeah. a day there in the middle about day 7 something like that that uh, uh I couldn't do anything right I mean that day we seen a rattlesnake in the camp I got bit by fire ants I didn't sleep well <laughs> and I thought well this is why I can't paddle I could I just couldn't do anything right and I couldn't get a roll so they kept bow rescuing me and I couldn't figure it out. Finally, I realized my thigh brace, which is where my right thigh went up underneath, I realized it was loose and the bolts come out. The cockpit was cracked on both sides, and the th- and they, they it's like, oh man! So this is why you can't do this. And so they took a thing substance called hydrocele and they put that thigh brace back in and put it on the two cracks in the cockpit, and and we got going a little bit again. But uh, yeah. And then Lava Falls. When I hit Lava Falls, man, I got jerked out of that kayak so violently that I literally thought it took my my legs off. And uh, I was spinning and flipping under the water. And they told me my kayak was 20 foot, 20, 30 foot near, spinning and flipping as well. And, and uh, but I was mad when I popped up. I was mad. I was <laughs> like, my skirt imploded. I didn't get a chance to roll. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah uh, so so now, like what class of rapid is like lava Falls?
1: Well, lava Falls, if you take it from a raft standpoint, it's it's class four and a half class five, kayaking in all honesty, it's probably a three and a half to four, at least that's what I say. Some people, you know, it's just massive and it doesn't run, but you can literally kind of get through the line, you know if if you can kind of see what you're doing. <laughs> yes, you can yes. get through the line, <laughs> you can get to the line pretty pretty decent but but there are some people with eyesight that won't run it you know because it's big it's a massive big rapid and uh you know we had done um, on i've been down it four times now like I said then you was talking about eric earlier that was my second trip down his first trip down all the way through was my second trip down and and i gotta i gotta admit once i got through second tri- on the second trip i had a lot more fun i wasn't as scared third trip fourth trip i was I was, the anxiety level still goes up a little bit, but I was definitely playing a whole lot more than <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I know I can do this. Let's, move. Let's have fun, baby. And, uh, well, well, I was telling them, don't dodge the hole, hit the hole, you know, hit the big rapids. And uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's so awesome. And And one thing I wanted to ask you about kayaking that, you know, I've never been kayaking before. I have been when I was, gosh, a a little kid. I I did go whitewater rafting, which was amazing. I still still can remember it. But I have to wonder, I know that when, at least like when I went blind, it definitely, losing that sense, definitely I feel kind of enhances all of your other senses. Mm -hmm. And I have to only imagine that and, and whether or not, you know, you sense it more than somebody cited or not, I guess that's a whole other story for discussion. But I can only imagine that being in a kayak where you're basically, I mean, you're just sitting on the water where, I mean, do you, can you feel the, like, the power of the river, like under the kayak, like that kayak starting to move and wobble and starting to pick up speed and just kind of feel the flow? Like, are, are you paying a lot of attention to that kind of stuff?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I, I definitely do. And and uh there's times I can feel it really well and then sometimes I can't tell at all. And when it's kind of calm, we're just moving, I can't tell if I'm going upstream, downstream, wherever. And and if I end up swimming in the river, I, I can't tell until I go over something or hit something of what you know, where where that upstream <laughs> downstream's at. So if I end up yes. swimming, I tell them to come and get me. Come and get yes. me because I don't know where I'm at or where I'm going, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you do kind of get to feel it more and more the more you do it. And yeah, uh, I just love it. But I got to address this though. You talk about your other senses improving yes, or getting enhanced. I can honestly say I only have one of my senses that I truly believe has improved or, or gotten enhanced since I lost my eyesight. And that is my nonsense.
0: So. I I knew, I started, I'm like, I don't know where he's going with this, but I don't think it's going to be anything to do with smelling or touching. Or <laughs> I'm like, I've already gotten to know Lonnie too well. I'm thinking, I don't know where he's about to go with this. <laughs> My
1: dad tells everybody, he does, he tells everybody. When he said, man, when you got shot. He said, when he, when Lonnie got shot, said the only thing it could have taken was his eyesight. And they're like, why is that? And he said, because he doesn't have anything else in between his ears. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh That's my that? gosh. <laughs> that is so funny. So funny. So now in terms of kayaking, I mean, we hear the Grand Canyon and, and that sounds just incredible, amazing. But is that like the biggest, you know, best river in the world or at least that you've ever kayaked or is there bigger more powerful rivers out there the grand canyon is
1: it's an epic river and i love it you know and and you can only go so many like once a year unless you're like a raft guide or something but there's numerous rivers out there that are you know much bigger much more powerful like you know, like the Congo, the Amazon, the Fudalufu, the Yangtze, the, the Zambezi, and, and different flow, you know, the auto depends on what the, how much rain they've had and how much flow goes down, you know, I mean, I was paddling, the first trip down was probably, I think, around 22 to 2,500 or 25,000 CFS, and, you know, the Congo at times or Amazon could flow over a million, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, and then, you know, you can get some of the smaller rivers that just, the water just gets rushing down through them it's just treacherous i mean it's narrow it's skinny there's rocks everywhere there's it's highly technical it's the grand canyon in all honesty is is a deep wide river so it in kayaking terms it's truly a a safe river in a lot of ways i don't think there's been a drowning on it in 10 years you know people die from falling Or, or, you know, if they drown, they fall in from the bank or something without a life jacket or stuff like that. But as far as actually paddling, and there's other rivers out there, you know, that people die on every year. They try, they're class five, they're class six. You know, they're trying to think of the name of the one there. The Green River, for example, in, in uh, Virginia, West Virginia, and I think it's Virginia, you know, it's class five, just really, really treacherous. And the biggest, most difficult i personally paddled is, is the batombic gorge section of the zambezi river in africa and it oh, was oh wow definitely had some class 5 for kayaks on it and then i got very very fortunate there on a couple of different instances
0: well okay okay real quick about that one because you kind of just breezed over that whole thing about kayaking this river in africa i think of rivers in africa of nothing but like dangerous wildlife like crocodiles and hippos and did you encounter stuff like that? Well,
1: the where I was at in the in the gorge section, the hippos weren't there, and and you know, if the crocodiles. You know, we we encountered a few small crocodiles, but if they got any size or something, you know, they most in the rapids are not around much. But what cracked me up is they they told me said if you see a crocodile. You know, like, yeah, if I see a crocodile, but a crocodile comes at you. You know. <laughs> you know, as it comes at you, I guess, you know, you paddle straight at it. And when it, it ducks to go under the water and then to come back up underneath you. They said once it ducks, you're supposed to turn 90 degrees and paddle away from it. And I'm like, yeah. The only thing you guys are going to do is just try to out paddle the wine guys. honey. <laughs> so,
0: <you know>? yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> right to his jaws. <laughs> that's right. He's like, Gator, Gator took the bait. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> Good <laughs> luck. That's right. Uh, Oh, my gosh. They didn't tell you they tied a chicken behind you as yeah, you're know, yeah, dragging no in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So now I'm curious, because if anybody's listening to the podcast, you know that I did have, you know, we talked about Eric Weimeyer had Eric Weinmayer on the podcast before. And, and we had him on and I talked to him about, you know, his trip kayaking the Grand Canyon. And. I know from from Eric's book that he wrote about the experience that when he set out to do it, his plan was that, you know, he was going to be the first blind person to ever kayak the Grand Canyon Mm -hmm. until he found out about you. (laughs) And and so I'm just curious about that experience. Did you know who Eric Weimayer was before being approached by by him, I, I assume they reached out to you once they they found out that, wait, no, there's another guy who already did it.
1: Yeah, and they did. And and I had met Eric one time snow skiing in Breckenridge. He was there telling, telling his story to some folks about climbing Everest. And that was my experience in meeting Eric. I, I mean, to, for me to personally speak to him, I just said, hi, how you doing? You know, nice to meet you. And that was pretty much our conversation. You know, then, like I said, he kind of told a story about a little bit about skiing and climbing Everest. And then after I kayaked the the canyon, you know, I got a phone call from Eric. It was a few months down the road. He's telling me, you know, congratulating me and then telling me about his trip coming up. And he asked me, he's the one that asked me, he said, will you join me on my trip down? He said, you know, one person doing it is an anomaly. Two people is a statement. And I said, I'm in. And, uh, you know, our techniques were totally different. He used a radio headset. I just literally used human voice command, you know, just yelling over the rapids and, uh, which was cool to, to kind of see that. And, uh, just pretty neat. And, you know, yeah. kudos off to to him and, you know, I paddled it now with, uh, we took four other, on my last trip down, we took four other folks who lost their eyesight in combat down and they paddled, uh, a lot of the rapids and, uh, one of them went through lava falls, and you know, just I got—I got I to gotta admit—it takes a takes a little bit of something about you to, to to go out there and do that, and not you know, not know what's coming, and and everybody's aspects different, you know, and what they what their comfort level, what they feel like doing, and what they don't, and you know, yeah. I, I just love it. I truly do love it. I know Eric stated in his book it was the most terrifying thing that he's done, and uh, yeah,
0: I love it. I don't. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I think that's amazing, so amazing. I think Lonnie, you you're somebody who, who you totally encompass this mindset that I try to strive for of of redefining the meaning of vision, mm-hmm. and you know, and I think so many of us we get so caught up in people do of not understanding how how you can continue on with life if you can't see because. Being able to see is such a vital part of of our life, and and I yeah. even know you know for myself growing up. I mean, that's you know everything I did revolved around the ability to see. I didn't realize it at the time, and and for myself, it's been this journey of of kind of re rediscovering life again and realizing though that there's so much more to this life than than just what the eye can see, mm-hmm. and and I listened to you, Lonnie, and I. I think, you know, not only is Lonnie just this like hysterical, crazy, adventurous guy, but when you talk about making a statement, to me, you make a statement of the fact that losing your ability to see that, like you said, it doesn't make you disabled. You just can't see. Yeah. And I don't know, Lonnie, I just find you, I find your your entire personality, your persona, your, the adventures that you've done so encouraging, so uplifting and, and motivating. And, and I can only hope that anyone listening to our conversation today is coming away feeling the same way.
1: Well, I, I appreciate that. And uh, and I hope so. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I'm there's nothing special about Lonnie Bedwell, about what I did or what I've done. And I'm just I'm just Lonnie Bedwell, a little old country hick, you know, Podunk guy from Podunk, Indiana. But the, one of the differences is, is I've got a support system that a lot of people don't have. And I'm so blessed. And then I've also been blessed with people who give me opportunities, give me a chance. And and that's, like I said, that and that's where we are no different. That's every one of us out there wants someone to believe in us, give us a chance to prove what we can do or to see what we can do. And that's where I've just been so, so, so fortunate. And uh, I just try to pay it forward. I truly do. I can honestly say that I remember studying in camp the last night on the Grand Canyon on my very first trip, telling the entire group, you know uh hey guys, it's truly cool to say we were the first to ever do this, but it's absolutely irrelevant and meaningless if we can't pay it forward and uh you know so that to me that's i mean i I remember my parents asked me, why do I have to go do this anyway, why do the Grand Canyon' have all the things. And I told them, you know, I said, I know I'm going to be surrounded by these other disabled veterans. I said, they give me their all. Not just our country, but but me. You know, they give our country, but me. They give me their all. So they deserve my all, my best. I said, I have to. It has to be done. And uh, so now, you know, it's, it's truly, I consider it my next duty assignment or mission, if you will, to push my boundaries sometimes where i'm a little outside my comfort level but but then also to create try my best to to create opportunities for others out there not just blind and visually impaired but for anyone and everyone and to hopefully let them like i said believe in themselves and and realize that they can do so much more and if we just help each other and I'm sure you realize this, too. You know, I get asked all the time, you know, if you could see tomorrow, would you? Oh, yeah. In in, in a heartbeat, I would get my eyesight back. But if I could go back 24 years and change it, not a chance. I've been blessed with too many opportunities and to go back with what you're talking about, vision. Our true vision is in our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit. You know, eyesight is a function of that. But our true vision is is within us. And I think Helen Keller said it best: the only thing worse than being blind is having eyesight with no vision. And uh, you know, I, I I truly do believe that. So.
0: Amazing, amazing, Lonnie! Thank you so much for for your willingness to come on my podcast today to share your story. I think you're such an awesome guy, and I um I truly, truly mean it when I say that I I feel as though my life has been better for the simple fact that I got to meet you today and to have this conversation with you and i just i just want you to know from the bottom of my heart how much i appreciate your time taking the time out of your day to be a guest on my podcast and uh you know i always always say that i i truly hope that that any podcast that i produce that it can hopefully you know positively impact somebody in the world who's listening and i can only hope and pray that Today's conversation, you know, we'll we'll definitely do that and more for for so many.
1: I I do too. I, I do as well. And it's like I said, it's it's truly my pleasure and my privilege and honor to be asked to be on this and to and to do it. You know, I mean, uh, it's just like it said, you know, if it wasn't for folks like you doing these things, what I do wouldn't get out there. And and I'm not saying it uh for my I should say what we do wouldn't get out there because I couldn't do the things I've done alone. It's taken the we's it's taken all of us and to do these things. And once again, you heard me say earlier, I've just been blessed with it. Uh, so, you know, to help our story and to help kind of put our mission out there to do exactly what you're saying, same thing, try to make a positive impact in someone's life every day and to pay it forward every day. We couldn't do it if you wasn't doing what you're doing. And so thank you. It's it's truly been my blessing to meet you to do this and uh, thank everybody out there who supports it who listens and who supports all these endeavors. It's uh, you know you guys change the world and don't you you know and thank you for that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, Lonnie, thank you. And uh, for you listening today, I of course want to thank you. This podcast is only made possible because of you and. You know, and I I hope that today's episode, again, I just I truly hope that it made you laugh. And, you know, but more so just just made you realize, you know, how much more we're all capable of. And so anyways, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode. But again, thank you. And we will uh, see you again next week. And that's The Lowdown with Kevin Lowe. I hope today's episode inspired you, motivated you, and excited you to get out and enjoy life, no matter what obstacles may be standing in the way. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill.